and uh, hear from one of my one of my dearest friends. My uh, he's a lead pastor of Restoration Church in Philadelphia. His name is Pastor Watson Jones, and I'm just excited. Before you guys clap for him, he is a uh, all right. We'll clap. He is. Uh, he's. I have a, a small list of of of. Uh, of friends and a big list of people I know, uh, but he is a dear brother. We shared an office together when we were doing our residencies. We did them at the same church. Um, speaking of historical African-American church, he's come from one of the I mean, most prominent African-American churches in Chicago called Salem, uh, Reverend James Meeks. Just, I mean, if you guys don't know him, Google him. Just a dynamic guy. Um, but we shared an office, and th that was probably the toughest year of my life. He would sing and do weird stuff. Um, but he's, he's a dear friend, dear brother. And there, there's two things I want to promise you whenever I allow anybody to open this book in front of this church. There's two things I can promise. Number one, he will be faithful to the Bible. Number two, Jesus will be exalted. I can promise you that every single time. Don't ever sit like, oh, what is, what's happening? What's going on? Now, the, the workings and how he gets to it may be a little different. But today, I promise you those two things. Watson, don't, don't make me look bad because if, if that happens, you know, we're going to have to take care of you before you leave. Um, but seriously, if you guys could just help me welcome Pastor Watson Jones. Let me just pray for him and then uh, give him, turn it over to him. Father, grateful for my brother. Uh, thank you for his faithfulness. I learned so much from this guy. I'm just excited to be able to sit and hear uh, what he has to say to us. I pray that you would speak to us today. Um, use him. Uh, but Holy Spirit, we also need you, not just him. We need you to hear, um, hear what the word says. And so I pray that our first question isn't what does the Bible say, but how can I apply and I pray that he would um, be faithful to the text, give him physical strength today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Pastor Brandon, it's, it's very funny that you were able to take shots at me, uh, but I can't take them at you today. So I'll get you later, bro. <laughs> Epiphany Church, it is uh, very good to see you guys. I followed you guys on Instagram and Facebook. I liked all y'all pictures. And, um, and it's so good to just hear all the things, the amazing things that the Lord is doing. And I remember meeting Brandon like four years ago and him saying he wanted to plant a church in Brooklyn and to stand here and see y'all. And uh, this ain't even launched yet. The Lord is doing some amazing things. And so I'm grateful to be here today uh, from Restoration Church. I got my lovely wife who weathered the ride up with me and uh, she weathered it too. Kelly Jones, and she's holding our youngest, we have three, she's holding Ellison, Ellison Samuel Benedict the first. So, so yeah, I don't play. I'm sorry, I left the last name out. Ellison Samuel Benedict Jones the first. He mentioned I'm weird, yes. And uh, we have two other kids in the car. I mean, <laughs> that's child abuse. They're not in the car, they are actually <laughs> next door. Um, and uh, my daughter, my oldest, Yeshia Jones, and my son, my s oldest son, middle child, Watson Jones the fourth. So we're weird. We're keeping that legacy going. So I'm very excited to be with you guys today. If you have your Bibles, can you open with me to Psalm 130? Brandon, I'm going to have to steal your stand, man. Mine keeps going down, like, like in the middle of the sermon. It'll be like here. Psalm 130, if you're there, say I'm there. If you're looking, say still looking. I'll give you a second. All right. I'm going to begin to read here, verse 1. It says this, out of the depths. I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. 
I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. I want you to turn to the person next to you to help me announce this and say, neighbor. Today we're going to learn about a lifeline in the sea of trouble. Turn to the person on the other side and say, neighbor. Yeah, y'all going to talk today. Uh, are you in the sea of trouble? Let's pray. That's my part. Father, I thank you so much for this time uh, where we pause on the Lord's day um, to hear what it is you have to say here. Uh, God, I thank you that um, I'm able to hide myself behind your word here, that, that I, I have nothing to fear because I'm saying what you've already said. And I pray that as I speak to your people today, that your word, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, which is sharp enough to cut as it goes in and sharp enough to cut as it pulls out. I pray that your word, Lord, which is powerful, which uh, it's going to do what it's set out to do. I pray that it would first change us, that it will cause us to reorient our hearts, your direction from the front of the room to the back, from the left of the room to the right of the room. I pray, Father, that at the conclusion of this, your name would be lifted up and eyes would be drawn to Christ. If there are people in our midst, Lord, who do not know your son as Savior, I pray that this presentation would lead them closer. Hide me behind your cross, Lord, and, 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 and let all that I do and say be glorifying to you. Let no man receive glory today, but let your name be lifted up, Father, and let you be glorified. Give me power to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. It was the morning of May 26, 2013, that Harrison O'Keen was up in the early morning about his regular routine. He was on the ship, the AHT Jaskin 4, right off the coast of Nigeria, as he makes his way down the galley to go to the restroom. You know, that morning call when duty calls you, he's fulfilling his morning routine, going to the bathroom. It seemed very regular, nothing out of the ordinary, just a little bit of rain hitting the window, but he had been on this tugboat before, and he had never seen any reason to worry. While he's in the restroom, he's catapulted out of nowhere, out of the restroom, because a major storm has hit the ship. Would you imagine here? He had never seen this before, where an ocean swell began to just rise up strong enough to cause this sailboat to begin to capsize. He flies back and forth down the hallway because of the pressure in the air and the water that's hitting the ship, and he lands back into the bathroom that he was just kicked out of. Door slams shut behind him. No one can hear him. No one can save him. As the water begins to rush over, begins to fill the boat looking for space to take, the boat begins to sink, begins to make its way down 100 feet under the water until it hits the bottom of the sea. And he's down there in this bathroom and with just a little bit of oxygen to hold him for 60 days. That little bit of oxygen actually functions as his lifeline in his sea of trouble. I think I might be in good company today because there are some who, much like Harrison, are living our lives today, and if we're honest about it, we find ourselves in a sea of trouble. Some trouble we did not go looking for. We literally woke up one morning, and the trouble has capsized our lives, and we are in confusion. This text is going to show us that there are two types, two types of troubled waters but it's going to focus on one. There is the troubled water that we don't look for. 
the kind that you go to your job and you've done your job faithfully and your boss hands you a pink slip and says your services are no longer needed. You've done your job faithfully. You've, you've paid attention. You've been on time always, never once. You're no longer needed. But then there is the trouble that I sometimes find myself in. It's the trouble that I may not have asked for, but it's the trouble that I've knocked on the door for out of a disobedience. So this text is going to tell us this, that God is able to be your lifeline when you are sinking in a sea of trouble. Let me, let me see if I can say it differently. If you're in a sea of trouble, God is able and willing to be your lifeline in a sea of trouble. I'm talking about when no one else can pull you from the depth of despair, when no one else can pull you from discouragement, when no one else is there to speak life or to hold your hand, God is willing and able to be your lifeline in the midst of trouble. This text is going to tell us four things that we need to pay attention to for God to be our lifeline. The first thing is this. Call upon the Lord from desperation. Call upon the Lord for desperation. This is what the psalmist says. He says, out of the depths, O Lord, I cry for you. Initially, we hear this idea depths, and we think that he's talking about from the deep part of his soul. But this is actual imagery here. This is imagery that the psalmist is saying out of the bottom of this ocean, this, this sea of trouble, this, this deep swell of water, out of this trouble I call to you. But he doesn't just say I call to you and leaves it blank and open, but he says I call to you, O Lord. If you're looking in your Bible, you will know that that Lord is all caps, meaning that he's calling on Yahweh. Now, you can glance right past that and not pay attention to how serious and powerful that is. But Yahweh is the name that God used to introduce himself to his people. He says, the way that you're going to know me is by the name Yahweh. I will be what I am being. The all-powerful God was too big to have a name to describe him. So he just gave a name that talked about his being. I'm bigger than I'll ever be. I am what I'll ever be. I am God. But even more so, he says that this is the name that I call Yahweh, which points to the fact that God has chosen to have a relationship with me and his loving kindness, his love for me will never fail. And because I call on Yahweh, he will answer. Let me say this here. If you're in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, God has put a ring on his finger to vow to never leave you. And even if you have brought the trouble on yourself because of your sin, because of your disobedience, because of your issues, God is not a God who will turn his back on you and walk away. But out of the depths of your trouble, you have the ability to call on the God who has not left you. The psalmist says, O Lord, O Yahweh, out of the depths of my soul, I call for you. He knows that this God will answer him in this sea of trouble. Have you ever found yourself swimming in an ocean of trouble where it seems like you have gotten yourself in a place that is so far from God that your prayers seem like they're not even being heard? where you've gotten yourself so far and it feels like God wants to have no dealings with you and everything around you is nothing but confusion because of your doing. Maybe I'm talking about myself where I have found myself in emotional upheaval because of my sin and my disobedience. The psalmist is saying that in those moments you call upon the Lord. He says here, oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas. Notice here he says voice two times. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Let, let your ears be attentive to me, to my voice, my pleas for mercy. He's saying, God, hear me when I call you. There is a sense where I've called you yesterday and I'm not certain you heard me. I'm calling you today, and I'm not sure if you hear me now. Now, I know some of us will never admit that we don't ever struggle with the fact that, does God even hear me when I call him? Are my prayers hitting the ceiling and bouncing back to my pocket? The psalmist is saying, I'm calling to you, Lord. Let your ears not be closed off from me, though mine have been closed off from you. Let your ears hear me positively 
to hear the pleas of mercy. This is how you know that this psalmist is in trouble because of his own doing, because he's asking specifically for mercy. He's saying, God, please do not give me what is rightfully mine. God, don't give me what I've actually asked for, but, but I'm calling on mercy out of my sense of desperation. I, I'm desperate. I've, I've come to my wit's end. I've tried all I can do, and all I can do is create more drama. I've slipped off the end, and I'm desperate, God. Help me. I'm a Midwestern boy, which is why some of you are wondering why I talk so funny. I ain't from here. There was a camp that I used to go to in Wisconsin. Yes, I used to go to Wisconsin. And in this camp called Camp Green Lake, there was a green lake literally in the middle of this camp. This camp was very interesting, and this lake was a very beautiful lake, but I am a stereotypical guy in the sense, specifically black guy, I don't swim. Now, some of y'all might be like, don't come up in here with that because I swim. I don't swim, all right? So I remember uh, my, my uh, boss says, we're going to go out on this boat, and we're going to go out, and we're going to go out into this water, and it took a lot of praying and calling on Jesus just to get me to step off the dock into this boat. I'm going into this boat, and I notice as we're going out into this lake that looked extremely deep. I'm talking about you, you, you're, you're starting at one point. You can see like the seaweed under, or not the seaweed because it ain't the ocean, but you could see vegetation. But then you get out so deep you can't see any more vegetation. And I remember we're out in the middle of this lake, and all of a sudden we see shallow water. Would you imagine? There is a sandbar in the middle of this lake. I see a father and his son get out of their boat next to mine. I, I wasn't about to go about that life, but I'm, I'm watching. I'm observing. And I see the father tell his son, son, now you stay in this area because this sandbar is only wide enough to hold us in this area. That son was a lot like me. I can see him in his eyes. As soon as he heard his father say it, in his mind, he's not saying how much can I enjoy this, but how far can I go? And he begins to float off. And as he notices, his feet are no longer touching the ground. And as he goes off this sandbar, there is a sense of desperation where he's saying, Father, I've gone too far. Please help me. Somebody sitting in the room right now and your drama, your sin, your disobedience has created a situation in your life that has caused you to go too far. And nothing that you are doing to even backtrack it seems to be changing your situation. But God is a God who will let you exhaust yourself because he ain't got time to sit there and fight you. He will let you go to your wits end so that you come to a place where only he can save you. That's what the psalmist is saying here, that when you find yourself in a place of desperation, when your marriage is on the rocks because of your doing, when your relationship is ending because of your doing, when you are unemployed because of your doing, he says, when you come to that place of desperation, the God who will never turn his back on you is waiting there to hear your beckoning call. And I don't know who I'm talking to today who is finding themselves in that situation. And the spirit of the Lord is saying today, call on God who has not turned his back on you to call from a sense of desperation. But the second thing he's going to tell us this is not only do you call on him from a sense of desperation, but approach the Lord from humiliation. Look at verse three here. He says, oh, Lord. I call to you, yes, but if you should mark iniquities, oh, Lord, who can stand? He, it's almost this sense where he quickly realizes just who he is and what he is in the presence of the Lord. He realizes that he is really owed nothing, that God don't owe him a thing. He says, God, but if you should mark my iniquities. Now, iniquities is an interesting term. We don't use it no more. No one just be like, God, just blot out my iniquity. Unless you extra deep in King James then, you know, you don't actually just say iniquities. But iniquities, which literally means to twist or pervert something or a standard, it's deeper than that. Whenever the scriptures and the psalmist specifically talks about iniquities, he's talking about the action, yes, but he's talking about the consequences of the action as well. There is the action, there is the consequence, but also there is the guilt that sits in between. He's looking at it holistically. He's saying your iniquities, which was the action, your guilt is your iniquities, your consequences, your iniquities. He says, Lord, 
if you were to mark, to keep track, to take tally on, if you were to actually mark my iniquities, who could stand? Some of us in here think because we've acquired a little bit of book knowledge, may have got four extra dollars in our pockets when your mama had one, that you too good for something, that, that you think your sin actually don't stand up. But if God was actually to stand your sins up, it would mark like a tower and collapse on top of you. That God who understands not just the actions that you do, but the motives that sit behind the actions that you do. I know you may be philanthropic up in here and you might actually do some good stuff for some people. But God actually knows the motive that is saying, praise me while I do this good here. God, God knows the motive of I'm going to do what I'm going to do and no one's going to tell me because I am the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. This is what the psalmist is saying, that if he were to take your sin, your iniquity, and to stack them up, you'd run out the room. I remember one day I said to the Lord out of a sense of anger, God, I'm pissed off at you. Now, it ain't nothing wrong with telling the Lord you're mad at him. The psalms show you that quite often. But the farther I went in that prayer started to reveal a bit of my heart. Lord, I'm mad at you that I'm in this situation. Haven't I done enough for you? Oh, yeah. Don't act like you ain't never said it. Some of y'all said it yesterday. A ain't I done enough for you? I done given all of this, and yet you've given me this. And, and I remember, as sure as my name is Watson Jones III, as I began to list out the things I had done for the Lord to say that I don't deserve what I'm in, it's like a flood of stuff came to my mind of all the stuff that the Lord saw me do or think that I ain't even brought to him. Like, you really think the stuff that you bring outweighs the stuff that you ain't even talk about with me. <laughs> if God was to put your sin, your iniquity on these television screens, I assure you, you won't ever come back to this place, <laughs> but you'd pack up and leave the city and go to another part of the world where no one knows you. The psalmist says, look, I, I know how jacked up I am, that I'm a mess, that, that my sin, my iniquity smells like rotten apples before the Lord. That, that even though I try to hide it with my makeup and my nice hair and my nice clothes, that the Lord sees the stench that comes from my soul. He says, if you were to actually keep track or to keep tally of my sin, I, I could never be able to stand. Let me, let me just say this here. There has to always be a sense of humility when approaching the Lord. Don't ever think that you've arrived to a spiritual plane where you're now God's equal. There is a sense that you and I are still a mess. We might have been cleaned by the blood of Jesus, but the blood of Jesus is cleaning us daily from the mess that we actually are. Never ever think that just because you might have been free from a sin for four days that you are equal to God or something. He says, if you were actually to mark my iniquities, to keep track, to keep a running number, to keep tally of, who could stand? But God is not like us. I mean, think about it. Somebody wronged you once. You don't talk to them ever again. You keeping track of what they did to you. There are some people in your family you ain't talked to in months because they just said something sideways to you. And you keeping track of that. You're running through what they said in your head right now. You're running through what your response is going to be if they ever even see you again. Because you and I keep track of people's wrong. Here's what the psalmist says. But with you, he's talking about God, there is forgiveness. It's interesting here. It's, it's the way that he's describing this in the Hebrew. It's not just saying as if God has forgiveness in his pocket, but it's almost saying that where God is, forgiveness is there too. That, that where God is, forgiveness sits simultaneously with him. That God, although you have every right to mark my wrong, and, and listen, some of us know us. Some of us really know us, and we really know how messed up we really are. We really know the stuff that we've been involved in that we ain't told nobody yet. But with God, there is forgiveness. This is what he's saying. There is no need to hide away from the Lord. But in your humiliation, come to him bearing who you are 
because with him there is forgiveness. There ain't hoops you got to jump through. There ain't money you got to pay. There ain't some incantations you got to say or stuff you got to promise. There is forgiveness with God that is free for you. He says, but you give this forgiveness, verse 4, last line, that you may be feared. Feared here is not necessarily terrified. Feared, I, I like to think of it this way. My daughter has autism, and, and she can turn up on you in a quick second. My son has no autism, and he could turn up on you <laughs> in a quick second. Uh, they be sideways hazing my wife. I'm talking about, I'm talking about Kelly, call me, text me, come get your kid. Uh, put them on video and say, this is what they're doing right now. And I'm like, not my kid. When I walk in the door, something about my voice and presence. When I walk in the door, hey, sit your butt down right now. I actually say, yes, I say butt. I do. I'm country. And I say butt. Sit your butt down right now. I'm talking about tantrums. Stop. Um, cussing toddlers. Stops. And them kids become angels. They like sit down and cross their legs. Fear. Now, I'm not talking about they're terrified. There is a sense of respect that they have for me. And I'm not saying they don't have it for their mother. They, they, their mother, you know, we have a complimentary relationship here where their mother is far more patient than I am. Where I <laughs> sit down. You know, my mother, Kelly be like, all right, come on, baby, let's, you know. But there is a sense where when I walk in the door, <laughs> there is a level of respect that they have for me. The psalmist is saying God does not offer the forgiveness just so you can say, hey, I got forgiveness. God doesn't just give you forgiveness so you can just, shall we continue on in sin that grace may abound? God doesn't just forgive you so you can stay in the jacked up relationship that you ought not be in. God doesn't just offer forgiveness so your side, John, what we say in Philly, can stay there on your side so that you can continue to go back for forgiveness. God doesn't just forgive you so that you can continue to dabble with sin in your pockets, but rather he forgives you that he may be feared, which means that God forgives you to free you to bow your knee before him to treat him with the honor and respect that is due his name. That when we live our lives like the blood ain't been shed for us, like the blood has not cleansed us to make us whole, we live our lives with disregard to God. God lavishes us with his love so much that Christ died for us while we were in our sins, not so that we can continue on in sin, but that as we know we sin, fear for the Lord says, I admit that I've done wrong. He says, come to the Lord with a sense of, humiliation. But, but here's, here's, here's the third thing. Wait for the Lord with expectation. Look here. He says this. I, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. I, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. Pay attention anytime you're reading a psalm, which is poetic language here, that anytime something is repeated, that's emphasis. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, soul being the seat of every part of him, his emotion, his passions, his desires, his love, the whole of this person. He says, with everything that I am, I wait. Question that comes to my mind is, what are you waiting for? Why are you waiting? After all, he's been forgiven because in verse 2, he acknowledges his sin if I should mark my iniquities, you can't, they can't stand, but you offer forgiveness. What is he waiting for? Here is what he's waiting for. The psalmist doesn't merely want a spiritual forgiveness, but he wants a spiritual forgiveness and a physical renewal that points to tangible deliverance. The, the psalmist is saying, yes, I've been forgiven. My sins have been taken far as the east is from the west. But the situation I've gotten myself in has not changed when I got off my knees. That, that although I dropped on my knees for help, yes, you're no longer holding it against me. But the situation that I have created for myself has not changed. He's, he's waiting for the Lord and he's hoping that the Lord would physically change his situation because of the sin that got him there. God might have forgiven you through Jesus Christ. 
But there are some things in your life that he ain't going to remove yet. That there, there are some pains you're going to feel that he's not going to remove just yet. He wants you to remember there are some things that are going to stay in the relationship in terms of your wife not trusting you or your husband not trusting you that that the Lord is going to let stay there to deal with some root issues. The psalmist is saying, although I have found forgiveness in you, I wait for you to change the situation. It doesn't mean I turn from you because you're not real. It doesn't mean that I go to find something to please me while you have not. But it's saying, you've forgiven me through Christ. My sins have been removed, and, but I'll wait for you to change it. He says, he says, my soul waits. But the interesting thing about waiting is that you can't wait in a vacuum. You, you really almost have to hang your, set, your head on something. You, you have to have something tangible to hold. You can't just say, I'll wait with the promise of nothing. The psalmist, is, that's why he says in the next line here, he says, he says, I wait, O Lord, but it's in his word that I hope. The Hebrew word here, devar, which usually translates to mean saying. It's not even saying that he's talking about on your sayings, O Lord, I wait, but he's actually taking it further. He's saying on your promises, I wait. This is why Bible is so important, that there is a sense that when you've been forgiven for your sins, You've got to grab hold to the promises of the Lord to hold on to. That there is a sense that the Lord will deliver his people in his time. But you've got to grab hold to the fact that he said he would do it. You've got to hold on to the fact that all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. When things don't change, though, you got off your knees. There is a sense you have to hold to the promises that God has given you, not some promises that you snatch up off the air or pull up off a TBN, but promises that you find in his holy writ where he has said, I promise to never leave you nor forsake you, that I will supply your needs according to my riches in glory, where God promises to look out for you. There is a sense where in order for you to have longevity in that, you have to trust in the forgiveness you got by holding to the promises that he's made. This is what the psalmist is saying. He says, but on your word, on his word, I hope. But he says, my soul waits for the Lord. He says, wait again. For the watchman, more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. We don't get the understanding here of a watchman because we don't live in the city that he's speaking from. In ancient cities, people lived in these times and in these cities where they had walls around cities. Purpose of these walls were not just to be like, oh, they cute. We're going to put an accent wall over here, and this wall is going to be this color. But the purposes of these walls were for security. You're looking at Jerusalem. They were mounted up on a hill where walls would have surrounded the whole city. They would have a tower on each point of the wall where a watchman would sit in those towers. His job, his sole purpose of being up there is not to sleep, ain't to get some sun, ain't to catch up on some reading or a blog post. His purpose in being there is to keep watch. He, he's literally looking out to the horizon. He's, he's watching for enemies to come up when no one else is looking. He's, he's watching the horizon to see head bumps that seem to be human beings drawing closer to the fortified city. But the watchman, as he's watching, at night especially, there is a longing and expectation for the day to come. That he's standing there watching, waiting for the morning to come because at night he can't see. But he's watching intently, waiting for the day. Because when the day comes, there's safety. Here's what the psalmist is saying. That even though your situation may not change because you've repented, sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. The psalmist is saying there has to be a sense in your heart that you wait with expectation that the Lord will meet you and you watch out of desperation. That you are literally waiting to see the Lord changing. What does this look like practically? This means if you've gotten yourself into a mess, you work the path out to, until you're no longer in that mess. It means it means as you wait for a job that you got yourself fired from. It means you wait for the Lord as you're putting in resumes for another job. It means you're waiting for the Lord to move his hand while you're trusting on him, in him and in his word. Psalmist says you wait with expectation. I, I remember 
I got hired out of seminary at a church that will remain nameless. There are only two people in this room who know this church, Brandon, Pastor Brandon, and my wife. The Lord specifically said to me, I mean, and even my wife, this is, this is why if you're married in here, don't be discounting what your wife says. Because some of y'all wives is like, amen. <laughs> don't be discounting what your wife says because it's like the Lord sometimes knows how to speak to her in a way that you ain't trying to hear. So this, 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 this church is pursuing me out of school. And I'm like, yeah, this is, you know, the church had a name. You know, and I'm like, this is going to be great. You know, I can I can pay my student loans off and this is going to be good. And I remember the Lord specifically said to me, no. I said, to the Lord, I bet I will. <laughs> exactly. I, 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 I said, I bet I will. <laughs> and, and I remember I got into this church, right? Got into this church, remain nameless. This ain't recorded, is it? It ain't like, a, it's, okay, I ain't going to say the name. I ain't going to say the name anyway. I got into this church, right? And within the first four days, the Lord said this. It was like Jonah. So you're going to run this way. I'm going to turn this up on you. And I just remember in, I, I was literally only at this church for a month. Let's just show you how short of a time I was there. It turned up so bad where I'm just telling you now, if I had to stay there for 24 days, I would not be in ministry now. And the Lord was like, I'm, I'm going to show you. So I said to the Lord, I remember specifically saying this, Lord, I know you told me no. And I said, I bet I will. I, I sinned against you. That was rebellion and that was pride and I repent. I said, Lord, I committed to this church for five years. Five years of just pure hell. Five years. Lord, I committed to this church for five years. I said, but listen, please get me out of here. Please get me out of here. I said, please get me out of here. But if you don't, Lord, I'll commit for five years. Within a week, within a week, I promise you, within a week, I get a call for another church to leave this church. And guess who so happily put in that resignation? Your boy up here. Here's the point I'm saying. That when you wait on the Lord, and I, I had resolved in my soul, with five years would have meant I'd still be there right now. I resolved in my heart that, okay, Lord, you've forgiven me for the sin, but if you don't change this, I'm going to be faithful to you in this. I'm going to work this out, whatever this means, and the Lord, sure to his word, delivered me. I don't know what you've gotten yourself into. I don't know what mess you've created for yourself. Here's what the Spirit is saying here. Repent. Be honest to the Lord about it. Just list it out to him. He already knows it. Tell him what it is. Grab hold to the fact that he will deliver his people, and you hold on until he does. Psalmist says, wait with a sense of expectation. But here's the fourth thing. Trust in the Lord for his redemption. Look at verse 7 here. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. The psalmist kind of turns his attention from himself to his people. The psalmist clearly is writing from verse 1 to verse 6 about his own situation. Meaning, and, and imagine, this is a, a dude who wrote something that landed in Scripture, who even him, he was guilty of sin. What does that say about us? He confesses this to the Lord. He goes through this whole thing of I've, I'm in a whirlwind, I'm, I'm in a sea of trouble. But I'm going to confess this and I'm going to I'm going to let you forgive me and wait for the deliverance. And clearly he makes it out. He turns his attention to speak to his nation now. Why is he speaking to his nation? It's believed that his nation was coming out of what was called the exile. You, you know anything about your Bible? If you don't, that's fine. Read it. The people of God were told by God in Exodus to be faithful to him. And if you ain't going to be faithful to me. I'll jack your butt up. That's, I'm really summing up the first five books of the Bible for you. <laughs> if you're not faithful to me, I will jack you up. And let me, let me just say this here. Yes, God is loving. He is. God loves. The scripture says God is love. But the scripture says he disciplines those who he loves, which means God's not going to let you stay in sin if you have been bought by the blood of his son. Because the blood of his son was too costly for us to just stay in sin. God will turn stuff up on your life. God will cause your job to close. 
God will cause relationships to end. God will cause people to turn their backs on you and leave you with nothing. God will take your help to make you turn back. Now, that may not sound loving, but if you got parents in here, you ain't going to sit there and let your kid just stand up in your face and tell you what they is or ain't going to do. You pay the bills in your house. You buy the groceries for them to eat. You buy clothes even without you having stuff. And you just going to let your kid, because they smelling themselves, stand up in your house and tell you, I ain't washing no dishes. After you slaved and made the food. Huh. Scripture says, God disciplines those whom he loves. God told his people, he said, listen, if you're not faithful to me, I will jack you up. They go on throughout their history. King comes, every single king fails. Wherever the king failed, that wasn't just the king failing like Nixon failed and the country just went about his business. The king pretty much represented the people. Whatever the king was doing, the people were deep into it. Instead of worshiping God, they wanted to have sex in temples. They wanted to burn kids. They wanted to, to build up idols in front of God's face. <laughs> and God said, bad, I'm going to jack this up here. God has them snatched out of the land that he promised them and taken into exile for repentance. They're in exile, and God is promising through Jeremiah, through Isaiah, through all of the prophets that I'm going to restore you when you come back. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to free you. When you turn, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to restore you. They turn. God finally brings them back out of the land, back into their land. But they're there. There is a sense that God has not actually changed nothing. Because now they got people who live next door to them that want to take their land. Now they got to work hard to rebuild the walls. And there is this sense that God is not faithful to his promise. The psalmist then is writing this to say, Israel, hope in the Lord. I've been there before. I've sinned and got myself handed to me. And God was able to restore me. He says, Israel, but you hope. And he gives us three reasons why. He says, for with the Lord. There is, on one hand, steadfast love. Steadfast love, the word for that in the Hebrew is hesed. Don't get lost on the term. But what it simply means, it is a love that is deeply committed to you that will not pass away. It's a love that you cannot buy or spend. It is a love that is there for you, that is uncompromisingly unmovable for you. He says, hope in the Lord, because on one hand, there is steadfast love. But on the other hand, there is plentiful redemption. Redemption means to ransom something from slavery. Redemption is simply hesed in action. It is God's love being moved to deliver. He says on one hand, there is undying love, hesed, and on the other hand, there is redemption. And he says this, because these two hands are what they are, he will redeem Israel from all iniquity. Whereas love is not enough. Love comes and meets with action, redemption, to redeem his people Israel. I, I remember when I was a kid, I was trying to lift this bag. And you know, when you're young and your daddy's strong, you're trying to prove yourself to him. And I remember trying to grab this bag that I saw him carry with one hand. And I grabbed this bag and I'm lugging this bag across the floor. I can't even lift it up to get it on my shoulder. And my dad says, son, God has given you two hands. Reach the other hand over, or retch, really, because my daddy from, you know, country. Retch over and grab the other bag and lift it with two hands. Because what can't fully be accomplished with one hand, another one can add to it. I'm going somewhere here. There would one day be a man that would come after this psalmist, whose name was Jesus, who would, with one hand, carry one end of a cross and with the other hand, he would hold it stabled on his arm. And he would trudge through the city with this cross on his back. And the cross would be laid down on the ground. And with one hand, loving kindness, he would be nailed to it. With the other hand, redemption, he would be nailed to it. And with him breathing his last breath on the cross and being resurrected from the dead, he would remove the iniquity from his people. What's the point I'm making here? That because Jesus Christ went to the cross for you and my sin, 
not for the purpose of boredom, not because he had nothing else better to do on a Friday night, but Jesus took our sin and our iniquity and he cloaked himself in it. Jesus said, I like the way that looks on me. I'll take it off of you and put it on my body. And Jesus would hang on the cross with our sin dripping off of his face as his blood would pour from his hands and from his feet and from his face and from his back and he would breathe his last breath so that your sins and my sins and our iniquity can be dealt with. He says, Israel, hope in the Lord because he is loving, kind, and he's able to redeem, and he shows us that on the cross. Here's the deal here. Point your eyes to Jesus Christ. Let your eyes be fixed on what the Lord Christ has done for us 2,000 years ago on the cross, that his blood was not arbitrary, that his death was on purpose for our sin. And because his death was for our sin, not his sin, our sin was on his back. God is able to forgive you no matter how far you've gone. No matter what you have done and you know what you've done, no matter how heavy it weighs on your shoulders and how guilty you feel, no matter how much you want to take your life because the guilt is too heavy for you, there is no sin that is not too far that God's blood cannot cover. Jesus is Christ, his blood shed to remove the sin from you. The psalmist is saying, hope in the Lord because his power in one hand, loving kindness, and his redemption in the other was enough to achieve forgiveness for us. Practically, what does this mean? The Lord can be your lifeline in a sea of trouble when you embrace the forgiveness that comes from him freely through Jesus Christ. But practically, he becomes your lifeline as you trust him to redeem you from your mess. What is the issue that you are struggling with that you need the Lord to practically help you with? What's the habit that you cannot let go that you need the power of the Lord to help you with? Who is the person that you need to forget? The Facebook page you need to never check again. The Instagram page you need to unfollow that you cannot let go. Who is the person that has been in your life for years that you can't even walk away from? You need the power of the Lord to help you practically do it. God is saying, let him be your lifeline. If you have created a sea of trouble for yourself, God is not standing back saying he doesn't love you. God is watching you saying, child, come home. God is watching you saying, child, cry out to me. Call me Yahweh, who will never turn from you. The God who showed you how much he loved you by saving you. Call on me and let me be the lifeline. If you're here and you know there's sin on your back, Jesus says, let him carry your burden. He says his is light. He'll take yours and put his, yours on his back and give you his, which is light. Why carry it on your shoulders? Why, why keep holding on to it? Why keep fighting other people to hide it? Why keep holding it near when it's doing nothing for you? It hasn't gotten you anywhere but pain. Why, why continue to listen to it? Why, why continue to play with it? When God is saying there's freedom here, let the Lord be your lifeline in your sea of trouble, and he will deliver you from it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that... You are our lifeline, that we don't buy this from you, that it is given to us freely by grace. We thank you for Jesus Christ, Lord, who died on the cross for our sins, that you put our sin on his back. He died and you put our righteousness, his righteousness on us. You see us as justified, empty clean of all type of sin, though we know who we are. Help us, Lord, to trust in you to be our lifeline. I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord, who is yoked in things that you freed them from. People who are stuck with things that you have brought them from quicker than a 12-step can. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to feel the realization of your deliverance. Help us to take your word into our souls, to, to meditate on it, to hold on to your promises that your righteous people are delivered from all of it, that you are able and strong enough to do it. I pray for those in the room who are in need of repentance, that you would 
Help us to trust you with that. Push us, Lord, to tell you of the sin that we are in. You see it. You're creating perfect storms all in our lives to bring it to light. You see it. You know it's there. But help us trust you to give it over to you. And we pray for this and we thank you that you are who you are and you're more powerful than we can ever imagine. Because you have achieved victory for us with the two pierced hands of your son, Jesus Christ. We love you and bless you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can, can we just, just before we, you, you guys can, if you got to maneuver, you can. Um, before we transition into worshiping together, one of the things I don't want us to do is um, run past this word too quickly. You know, I mean, the psalmist began um, crying out of his own personal death. By the time you get to verse 8, it says that he will redeem all of Israel. Like, it didn't say he might. It was a possibility. But he will redeem all of Israel. It starts from a personal cry to saying, you're, you're not just the God that's able to forgive my sin but the sin of the whole nation. And I, and I love the fact that, that Pastor Watson, I mean, he was hitting home today, even personally for me. I, I love the fact that um, he highlighted where forgiveness is. Forgiveness is found in Jesus, period. Like some of us are trying to, um, we're, we're trying to work our way to this forgiveness. If I could just do enough, you might forgive me. So let me run harder. Let me white knuckle it. At the end of the day, that thing fails. Did you notice that what the scripture says with him, there is plentiful redemption, not within your work, but within Jesus and Jesus alone. I just want to give the invitation to someone and you don't have to come up, but I want to give the invitation to someone who um, is wrestling with your own personal sin. And maybe you know Jesus, maybe you don't. If you don't know Jesus, man, I wouldn't leave today without knowing him. Talk to anybody that's been here. If you don't know him, please give your life to him today. There's nothing spooky in it. There's nothing magical. It, 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 it's a miracle that Jesus decides to forgive us. But, but my, my prayer and hope is that you would turn to him today. If you're a believer and are wrestling with own, your own personal sin, just between you and the Lord, maybe nobody else knows, my prayer, my deepest prayer today is that you read the Psalms. With him, there's plentiful, not a little bit. There's not like a little bit of redemption with him. There's plentiful redemption, and he will forgive us of all of our sins. So there's nothing you can confess to him today. As we worship the Lord with, with the praise team, listen to the words. It talks about giving us clean hands and give us a pure heart. That can only be done by the person and the work of Jesus. Please don't let this text run by today. Don't let this word run by today and you not have given your life to Jesus or confessed your sin. Amen.